0: Mark 9:14 through 32. When he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, "What are you discussing with them?" Then one of the crowd answered and said, "Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and wherever it sees him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw When he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, "This This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him.
1: Uh, Fasting is a big part of Jewish life and uh, I remember uh, my mother fasting. Uh, basically she would uh, spend the day in bed instead of in synagogue because it was really hard <laughs> to not eat. So fasting on Yom Kippur was, uh, was dreaded. It was, it's not a joyful activity, but it is a symbol of doing without. It's a symbol of asking God to forgive you for, for your sins, to do without, and to suffer in a small sense. Uh, in the synagogue, we pray prayers of confession. Ashamnu means we have sinned, or more specifically, we are guilty. And Jewish people will beat their breasts and uh, list their sins. So the uh, one guy up front in the synagogue there, he prayed to himself. And he said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like all the other people. You remember that story? And the guy in the back was a publican, not a republican, a publican. It's a difference. Maybe not so much, but there is. But anyway, this guy being a Jew, he's in the back, and what did he do? He's beating his breast, and he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. You know, so he was preparing to confess his own sinfulness and compare, uh, preparing to admit that he was a sinner, that he had no righteousness of his own, and that's why he was there. Yom Kippur is basically Passover. It's when the Jewish people would remember that they were brought up out of Egypt by God Almighty, who says, I brought you up on eagle's wings. I read the story, I didn't see the eagle. But in a sense, God in His mighty, I mean, the, the ease with which an eagle can fly, He brought thousands of people across the sea, across the brought them into the promised land, just brought them home. And so once a year they would remember this, and they have these feasts that they went through, all this stuff, and it required a lot of fasting and praying. And generally about 10 days before uh, the Passover, there would be a lot of prayer and a lot of fasting and a lot of checking your house for leaven and checking this and checking that and making sure things are clean, righteous, and holy and examining yourself over and over and over. So uh, the reason I brought all that up right now is because in the story, the disciples say, how come we couldn't do it? And he says, prayer and fasting. So the question is, was he teaching the people a new religious act to do the Jesus stuff to be able to cast out demons? Was this a new program on how to get her done and rid the world of all demonic activity? Or was he, in fact, speaking to these Jewish men about something else? that's what we're going to be looking at today. Because in their mind, when you start talking about fasting and praying, just as this Jew said in this clip, when you're talking about fasting and praying, you're talking about me examining myself, confessing my sins, making a list of everything that I'm guilty of. Isn't that interesting? Would you think that would change the meaning of the text the way that we normally read it? It might. We'll see. <clears throat> so, when Jesus saw, a couple weeks ago, before the storm and everything else happened, Jesus saw these uh, these their faith. I think that's where we are. Hey, go to the next one, Bryce. Yeah, I don't know what we're doing. But anyway, I... I had a little trouble getting slides done. I worked on this two weeks ago, and I worked on it again today. But anyway, this is where we're going to start right here. So forget everything on that last slide. But when Jesus saw the people and he saw their faith, whatever, when he saw, it brings up questions for us. And these were the questions, some of them, that we were looking at a couple weeks ago. This idea of, what do I see? Do I see the same things Jesus sees? Is my heart in tune with his heart? Is my focus the same as his focus? Am I at all concerned about the same kind of things Jesus is concerned about, or am I just concerned about me and my stuff? Does my my life reflect what he saw? what Jesus is looking at. I claim to have faith in him, but does my life reflect all of that? Am I feeling and seeing those things that he saw? When Jesus saw, you know, I guess maybe this is what the one I was looking for. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus saw their faith, you know, the five guys came in and they brought their friend, the paralytic, and they were going to they wanted they had expectations to get him healed. Try the next slide, Bryce, see what that one pulls up. Yeah, there we go. When he saw their faith, he said to him, "My son, your sins are forgiven." See, that's not why they came. You remember that? They wanted they had expectations of other things like being able to walk. But Jesus know, knows and knew then exactly what those guys needed. What they needed was to know that they were a member in the family and that their sins were forgiven. He says by faith. He, when he saw their faith. But when you think about it, their faith was all messed up, wasn't it? Their, their expectations, what they believed in, wasn't even close to what he gave them. But the Lord knows how to sort that stuff out. And the scribes that were there watching, they had a little problem, too. So he said, just so that you guys can figure out that I'm the Messiah, that here, watch this, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven and rise and walk. He said, but so that you scribes, you deep, serious Bible study people, you, just so that you can know that the Son of God is here, that Messiah is here, so that I am deity in flesh, watch this, rise up and walk. And a fellow got up and walked away. And in those moments, because of faith, the Lord God Almighty was able to give them what they really needed. And, you know, the actual walking of that guy is a secondary issue. It's not the primary in the story. The real story in that one was, Mark 2, that Jesus, the Son of God, has power to forgive sins. Why did he start that? Because he's teaching something. The time has come. The kingdom is at hand. Repent. Believe the good news. He's beginning to introduce the new covenant, the whole new program. It's a whole new thing. So when we get to this week's, Jesus saw the people. He saw the multitude. It starts off in verse 14. When Jesus saw the people come running together. Alright, so if you were a school teacher, and some of you are, I know, and you had a new concept that you wanted to teach your class, how would you do that? You know, what would you do? Flip it one. There we go. You saw their fates saw of fate. If you were a teacher, so there are a couple ways you could do it. You could come in and just blow the whole thing up and just hit them upside the head and just like, whoa, rock their world. You know what I mean? We've always done it this way. We can't do it that way. No, but there's a new way in town. We're going to do it this way. Everybody's mad and they're fighting. It sounds like church, I know, but let's not go there. But if you're a teacher and you want to teach a new concept, normally they start small and build. Darcy and I were talking about that earlier, about homeschooling. And it starts here, and they add, and they do this, and they do it and week after week after week, and they just keep building and building. Pretty soon, a kid graduates from high school, and he's really smart. Right, Bryce? He laughs. <laughs> I know it, but it's going to work. It'll be okay, Bryce. But that's the thing. So Jesus is doing the same thing, really. He's teaching these people something new is coming. There's a whole new covenant promised by Jeremiah. There's going to be a new way. And so he's building as time goes on. So we get back to verse 14. He came with his disciples. He saw a great multitude around them. And the scribes were disputing with them. Wait a minute. He came to the disciples. Where was he? Wasn't he with the disciples? Apparently not. So let's back up in the story a minute and just kind of catch up to where we are here because all of a sudden we break into this This story with Jesus approaching, and there's something going on. The new concept is going to be taught. Which one? Well, just to, back in chapter 8 anyway, Peter had said, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And then you get to 831, I think, or the 830, what's the, yeah, 31. He began to teach them. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and be killed, and then what? In big red letters. Rise again. The time has come. You know, the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Believe the gospel. So there he's teaching these Jewish people there's a new thing coming. Back up one slide again real quick. He began. This is the point where he started to mention that he was going to die. Now, they should have known this from Old Testament Scripture, because it's there, it's veiled, I know, but it's there. But nobody knew it. The scribes didn't know it, but it's there. Isaiah 53 spells it out, Psalm 22 spells it out, and a whole bunch of other places spell it out. But he began there to teach them. Go to, I'll go to the next one. What does he say? He spoke the word openly, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter basically said, Not so, Lord. But when he had turned around and looked, he rebuked Peter saying, Get behind me, Satan. If we do not acknowledge the value of death, burial, and resurrection, we are basically doing Satan's work. And this is a whole new concept for these people. They have no idea what resurrection. Psalm 110, it's there. It's all there. They should have known, but anyway. You're mindful of the things of man. To not believe in the resurrection is just to be earthly-minded. So that's part of the backstory. So you go to Mark 9, verse 2. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, led them up on top of a mountain, and he was transfigured. The next verse says he's brilliantly white and all this. And you remember Elijah and Moses showed up and. They are having a conversation until Peter opened his mouth again. But can you imagine what Moses and Elijah would have been talking about with Jesus on a mountain? I mean, just be a fly on the wall, man. Sit down and watch this. This isn't something anybody's going to see ever again. I mean, what nervous reaction. We all start talking. Anyway, they began to speak, and Verse 7, it says, And all of a sudden a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from heaven, This is my beloved Son, hear him. They looked around, there was nobody around but Jesus. Verse 9, They came down from the mountain, and while they are walking down, he commanded them, saying, Don't tell anybody about this until after the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Are you starting to get the picture? It's something to do with he began to teach D B R, and now these guys have had this. I mean, they have seen something nobody. I mean, these are the only three guys in the whole universe that have ever seen this. You know, whoa. He says, "Wait till after I rise from the dead." That's like what? So they kept the word to themselves. Verse ten, questioning what in the world is rising from the dead mean? What is? What does that mean? It just—it's a whole new concept, and it—it needs to be talked about before it happens, so that somebody will get it when it happens. And the twelve were chosen for that. He's going to the cross. That's where he's headed, and he's going to rise again from the dead. So now we get to chapter 9, a couple more verses down, verse 14. He came to the disciples, and he saw a great multitude around them, and the scribes were disputing with them. So immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, he says, uh, when they saw him coming, the people started with, we're amazed, here he comes. And so they're running toward Jesus for various reasons, with high levels of expectation for all kinds of who knows what. But again, here's people, they see Him coming and they have their expectations of what they think He should be doing for them to make their world work the way they really want it to work, as opposed to or instead of finding out what it is that Christ Jesus has for us and letting our lives meld into His or blend into His or fit into the program that he has designed. But they're just like average people. They just like, oh, here he comes. So we better run to him and get what we want. We we have our expectations. And he asked the scribes right away, he says, so why are you talking to these guys? What are you talking about? What's going on? You know, isn't it funny though that sometimes we run to each other for answers as opposed to Running to the one who has the answer. Say, like, you need to bless me so I can feel good about my pathetic little life. Please, pastor, give me a blessing. No, I can't do that. Don't you think what I'm doing is right? Mm, no. <laughs> but but, is it wrong? You know what I mean. I mean, don't we run to each other for things? Is it fair to try to extract from each other those kind of blessings and affirmations that? And which one of us really knows the whole story about what God's plan is for our lives? And yet here are these scribes. They think they've got all the answers. And the disciples have been hanging out with the rabbi for a while. They think they've got answers. And they're having this big discussion when Jesus walks up. And I just think it's really sad that what, why didn't somebody say, hey, why don't we wait till the Lord gets back? Well, he came up and he asked them. It's not like he didn't know what they were talking about. And he says, "Uh, What are you guys talking about? And just then, verse 17, one in the crowd answers. He says, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit that seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, he gnashes, he gets rigid and stiff. And I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. But they could not. I brought them to you, but you weren't here. So I thought maybe they could help, but they can't. And this, this dad cares about his son. All of this boy's life, he's been rescuing the child from itself. Sounds like a job of a mother, doesn't it? And mom's rescue, 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 rescue. Well this is a this is a bad situation anyway this little child is so possessed by evil and the dad is so concerned which speaks highly of the dad there are a lot of absentee fathers in our world today but this guy is there and he's in the game and he's caring about this child and he's hurt and he's trying by faith the best he knows how to do whatever he can do to help you can't fault him. We really can't. The disciples couldn't do a thing about it, though. Some would say, "Well, why not? Why, why, why can't they?" Well, they they weren't praying and fasting enough. Does that sound like a modern day answer in Christian church today? Why, why couldn't they? Well, they have weak faith. Why, why couldn't they? Well, because there's an old family sin. It's been eating the family up to the fourth generation, and we need to have an exorcism and get that thing out the family. The Riwa clan has MS. I have 12 aunts and uncles, and I have at least one cousin in every family. My sister has it. But there's one cousin in every family that has MS. And a Canadian MASH team of doctors came down here one time, drew blood at the family reunion. They've done... Uh, genetic research on the Rewa clan for years. And they've learned a lot about MS. They said, you know, with the size family and the amount of data we collected, it would take thousands of years but for you guys. So if the Rewa's ever become famous in the field of MS, you'll know what happened. One of my cousins said, we need to call meeting and have an exorcism because there's a sin, a demon of some kind to the fourth generation that's infected the family and that's why everybody has MS. And I mean, they were very serious, concerned, caring, Christian people. I get that. I'm not trying to mock them. I'm just saying but these are the answers. And then they will quote verses like this in this section and say this is this is what Jesus taught. But The question is, is it really? Or is MS a product of the fall? That some people get sick and some don't. Is it demonic? Is all sickness demonic? Is there a demon under this rock, that rock, and the other one? Is it always? Why can't we do it? How come we don't have the power? They could not. That's what it says. Whatever this kind is, and we'll get to there, but... Well, you got to believe in the power of prayer. That's a good Christian slogan. And I've talked about that before, too. We all believe in prayer because we believe God has the power. And He hears us pray, and God has the power. But if you go on the Internet today, you'll see everybody is praying, and everybody is saying there's power in prayer people who don't even know the Lord Jesus. The Hindus believe there's power in prayer. The Muslims believe there's power in prayer. Everybody believes there's power in prayer. My beef with that ideology is that God has the power. Pray to Him. And keep our language clear. So the apostles don't pray enough, is that well, we're out of touch with the Spirit. That's another one you hear a lot. But if you were a teacher and trying to introduce a new concept, what would you do? How would you teach it? Little by little. Little by little. And so far, if you look at the context of this gospel, he began to teach about the death, burial, and the resurrection. He's talking to the disciples about that. There's obviously an opposition to the gospel, and it's satanic. He pointed that out when Peter opposed it. So what is Jesus trying to teach in these moments? We get to verse 19. He says, Faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? Not much longer. He's going to be crucified. How long shall I bear with you? The Jewish people, he's been bearing with them a long time. This generation that was on the earth at the time he was doing this preaching, many of them should have known who he was and what was going on and what was coming. But in his effort to reveal the new covenant, the new concept, little by little he's building and he's trying to show them what's coming. Why? Because we need a Savior. From what? What? All sources evil and dark, demonic, from within and from without. From the sinful nature that I possess, the sinful behavior I display, and the evil that's around me day to day. We all need a savior, and Jesus is trying to establish this for these people. Son, your sins are forgiven. I have the authority to forgive sins. And now what he's trying to teach and adding to that gospel message is that I will conquer sin, hell, death, and the grave, and Satan as well. And he's about to show them what's going to happen, just to give them an illustration of what kind of power he has. Verse 20, they brought him, and when the boy saw him, immediately the evil spirit within him acted up, just started throwing him around. While that's going on, you'd think he'd say something to the boy, right? He looks at the father and said, how long has this been going on? Verse 21, he said, a long time. All of his life. 22. It's trying to kill him. It's trying to destroy him. It's going to ruin not only his earthly life, but all of life. Any opportunity. It's killing him. It's demonic. And Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. All things are possible to him that believes. I I think it's pretty clear the father had faith or he wouldn't have brought him to Jesus. You know, do you believe? And I love the old man's answer. You know, he says, "24, Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me." You know, to be able to believe. And it's a powerful cry. 25, when, the, when Jesus saw the people, saw that people were running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, deaf, dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit left. 26, he cried out and convulsed greatly came out. He was like one that was dead. And everybody around says, you're dead. He killed him. There's Our our lives without death, burial, resurrection power are dead. Ephesians says that, I think it says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. They're dead. There's no life can't hear, can't see the things of God are closed off to us. When we're in the realm of the world, in the realm of the darkness and all of that we, we have we're outside in the dark. It's a rough spot to be. And there they were they were all standing there the people. why did Jesus cast this demon out in front of all these people because he needs the people to know that he has the authority over whatever the darkness is in our lives, He has the ability to deal with that and straighten it out. Jesus has the power. Talk to Him. The Lord Jesus can fix it. The Lord Jesus can save us in it, through it, around. I don't care if you get your head cut off in this world in this time. It's temporary. You understand it, don't you? This life is temporary. what Jesus is trying to do is take us beyond even the temporary things of this life. Yeah, there's evil in this world. And some Christians live with it daily at a level that we have no idea. But their faith is in Him. We have a little persecution in this country. I mean, sometimes people say mean stuff to us, you know. Whatever. Or disease. Or hardships. You know, there's a lot that is wrong in the world, and it affects our joy, in a sense, and our happiness and our lives. But if all we're looking at is the here and now, if all we're looking at and thinking about is my world here today, then we're missing it because we have, in Christ, we have this ability that transcends the here and now stuff. That if, if my faith in Christ is real, that I understand Jesus died on that cross for me. He was buried in my grave and he rose again from the dead to establish for me a standing in him. That everything I have is because of what he's done. That the evil has no power over my life. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Having received and heard the word and believed the word, you're now sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of redemption. No matter what happens in this life, right, wrong, or indifferent, good, bad, or ugly, we're going home to be with Christ someday. And there's nothing Satan can do about it. He's been defeated at the cross. And what Jesus is trying to teach these folks is exactly that. We read the last couple chapters in 8 and 9. He's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection. And this guy is laying there as a dead person. Guess what happens in verse 27? Here he goes. He raised him up. The devils let him go. Now... He raised him up and he's still alive on planet Earth, and the devil's been cast out, and the boy is now alive on planet Earth. And here's another news flash. You understand this kid died later. He's no longer alive. I'm guessing, because it's been a long time. So, was the demonic, was that a forever healing? Yes. Yeah, it was. But we're not living forever here. Whatever we experience here is only temporary. This thing, it's temporary. But Christ has power over it all. 28, when he'd come into the house, back to Peter's house again, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? How come we couldn't do it? And that's a big thing in a lot of churches today. They all want the power. They want to do the Jesus stuff. I want to have the power. It's kind of sad because it's a secondary issue. It's important, don't get me wrong, it's important. But it's not as important as knowing your sin's forgiven and that you're on your way home to glory with Jesus for the rest of eternity. No matter what we suffer, whatever men can do to us, we're on our way above and beyond all of this. They couldn't cast him out. So Jesus said, well, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. What kind? The demon realm. The kind that Peter was playing with when he said, not so, Lord, Satan, get behind me. That kind of demon stuff. We fear it, I think largely because we don't fully understand that uh, what Christ has accomplished in our salvation, it, it's just so permanently secure that take us above and beyond whatever this world has to throw at us. Uh, it, it's not the world can't hold us down. We don't belong to them. We are in Him. We belong to Him. We're sealed up in Him everything about the death, burial, and resurrection, everything, Satan has no grip on any of it. He just can't touch us. And if we understood that, just mentally to start with, but even in our hearts, to reason and get it in our our system that no matter what happens to me, if I get cancer and sick and die, whatever, whatever happens to me, You know, if we get invaded and we get persecuted and die for our faith, whatever happens to me, it's nothing to be compared to the weight of glory that's coming. What Jesus has provided for us is above and beyond all of that. If I understood the love, the grace, the forgiveness that God has given me in Christ at Calvary, and has sealed that deal with His own resurrected power. It's amazing. So, this kind only comes out by prayer. Well, who's doing all the praying? You all been praying a lot? Yeah. Fasting, anybody? Maybe not so much. Maybe we ought to practice a little of that Jewish style. Lord, I'm a sinner, I'm stop eating for a day or two just to focus on how wrong things have been in my life from time to time and try to remember to pray for others who are sick and who need help or whatever. But look at this Hebrews 2. Inasmuch as the children, like this child we were just talking about, were in flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same, flesh and blood, that through death on the cross he might destroy him who had the power over death, that is, the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. The fear of death. Jesus beat all things satanic, way back from Genesis 3.15 all the way through. And in the end of the Revelation, the serpent, the old snake, will be tied up and thrown in the pit eventually. Look at the next verse. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. He's talking to his father about Calvary. No doubt this is the garden experience. And was heard because of his godly fear. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And if we're talking about the gospel message and the object lesson was to get people to realize that Christ defeated Satan, the one who was doing the praying was Christ himself. Do you see that? It, do you think he was really teaching us how to cast out demons, and which is more important, that people come to know Christ or that they I think they're both important, but the only way you're going to get rid of Satan is if Christ comes in. We need to preach the gospel. We really do. Last couple verses, and then we'll sing a hymn. Now, what's the next slide say, Bryce? They departed, went through Galilee. He's trying to sneak off. He didn't want anybody to know where he was. I'm guessing he's a little tired on the human side. On God, not a problem, but... He taught his disciples, and he said to them, The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of many. Resurrection. Do you see what I'm getting at? This whole story is sandwiched in a section where he began to teach this message. And he continued to teach his disciples this message. And when he saw the people coming... He said, this is what they need. They need to know that I am the Son of God. I have the power to forgive sins, and I am going to deliver them from the grips of the devil. It wasn't a lesson on exorcism. It just wasn't. And there it is at the end of the section. You know what Jesus said in the storyline? He said, bring him to me. Isn't that cool? Yeah, and so if we're going to be an inviting church, seeing what Jesus sees and knowing what he knows and understanding what people really need, they need their sins forgiven. They need to be set free from the satanic influences in the world. How are we going to do that? Bring them to me, he said. Aren't we supposed to be inviting people? Yeah. We start inviting people to come and know the Lord. Come to church, come to potluck, come to whatever, but come and start hanging out in the community where people believe the gospel. And then we'll get a chance to share with them the truth. Bring them all to Jesus. So. No! last verse for whatever is born of God overcomes the world this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith it is faith in him though Who is he that overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Help my unbelief. The victory in Jesus. Bring them to Jesus, man. That's what we got to do. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the night. We'd ask your blessing on us as we go. Help us to understand that our footing in this world is very temporary, but it's very solid in another sense because it's rooted and grounded in the death, burial, and resurrection of our blessed Savior. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the hope of life to come. And that no matter what comes at us tomorrow, that we can get through it because we're on our way home anyway. So we just ask you to increase our faith and help us to walk through, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.